Well, man, I'm, I'm glad to be with you today. I've recently performed a funeral for a gentleman that I've, I've never had the chance to meet. Um, <clears throat> this week, I, uh, there was a 77-year-old veteran in our city who passed away, and he was a Vietnam vet. <clears throat> and so we had the full military funeral with the 21-gun salute and all that. I never get used to the guns. My God, every time the guns go off, it's like, <sighs> and so it was, a, it was an incredible funeral. The guy was incredible. Um, his family loved him dearly. It was one of those funerals, they don't come often, but it's one of those funerals I just wanted to hang out afterwards. I, never, I never met the family until I went to the funeral home today to do the, that day to do the, the funeral. I talked to the son on the phone for about 20, 30 minutes, and that was it. That's the only connection I had with the family. And so I go in, I meet him, and I'm talking with the brother, with the son and the daughter, and, and we just connect real, real nicely. And, and they told me some stories about their dad, and <clears throat> one of his best friends got up and spoke, and he was an incredible speaker, and he's a Vietnam vet himself. And, and I came up after him, and I preached a message, a little short message. About 10 to 15 people gave their life to Jesus at the funeral home that day. And, and it was just one of those funerals where afterwards we went to the mausoleum here to do the whole military part. And I just, I didn't want to leave. I just, I wanted to, I felt a connection with his sons and with his son and his daughter. And I just want to make sure they were okay. And, and then finally I left and, and I've done a lot of funerals. Um, in fact, since June, I've done five funerals. Um, this summer so far, and I hope that's it. <laughs> I'm just going to be real with you. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> but I've, I've done funerals for two girls who were in their early 20s, 122 and 123. One died from a drug overdose, the other from murder. I've performed some funerals for some older folks who have passed away, and, and I always learn something at funerals. Uh, I've, I've done enough of them that I can walk in the building pretty much and kind of feel the room. I can, I think, I, I think, I'm not going to say I'm confident in this, but I, I think I can tell when the person who's died is saved because the funeral feels different than the one who's maybe not saved. When you walk into one and it seems like maybe the person wasn't saved, and like I said, I don't know for sure, one day I'll, I will know. <laughs> if I see them all there, I'm like, yes, I was right. And it's going to mean nothing to nobody. <laughs> But, but you feel them, you feel the funeral, and, and, and the, if, if the, the person was saved, man, it just feels different than the person who wasn't saved. And, and then you can also feel if there's some family tension going on, or if it was a united family. I've walked into some funerals, and I, I didn't know if I needed to be a pastor or a bouncer. <laughs> no lie, because you could break the tension with a knife. And so I've, I learned something at every funeral I go to. I recently, a couple, well, I say recently, a couple years ago, I for a friend of mine, for her grandfather, and uh, her mama, her mama's Catholic, and her grandfather was Catholic, but she was, she was a Christian, she was a Christian, she was non-denominational, and she asked, I was her pastor, so she asked me to go and speak at her grandfather's funeral, so I said, sure, and, and I, it's normally just one of us. It's like either the priest or the preacher, right? It's not often you get the tag team a funeral. And so the priest went first, and then I got to come up after him. And I remember when I walked in, and this guy was a, um, he was, he had spent most of his life in the Coast Guard. And, and they actually delayed the funeral for a couple of days because he had a custom, the Coast Guard sent him a custom-made casket. It was the prettiest casket I've ever seen. It was airbrushed with Coast Guard memorabilia all the way around it. They, it was handcrafted. I was like, I walked in, I was like, wow. That's how I want to go, <laughs> in style. Come on, somebody. And so I walked in. I'm talking to the family, and I'm talking to my friend, and, you know, this and that. And I walk up to the body of the older gentleman, and, I, and I'm standing there, and my friend's with me, and I'm looking at him, and I notice he's got something sticking out of his pocket. And I said, hey, what, what's that? And she said, well, she kind of laughed. She said, well, he always told us to bury him with his money. He wanted to be buried with all of his money. I said, okay, what is that? She said, so we did it. We wrote him a check. <laughs> True story. It's not a joke. I've always heard the joke, but I actually lived the joke. True story. He had a check in his pocket. They wrote him a check. Uh, sorry. 
I'll tell you. I realized something, though. One day, I will go to my own funeral. <laughs> this is an awkward moment, isn't it? <laughs> One day, I will attend my own funeral, and so will you. <laughs> I don't know why God made me put that statement in there, but it sure is funny. The title of my message today is Hanging Out at Funerals. I know, it's weird, but I think you're going to get something today. I want to show you, actually, I want to show you some wisdom today from the book of Ecclesiastes. If you've ever tried to read the book of Ecclesiastes, maybe you started reading it and you got depressed and you quit. It's a book that's easy to get depressed. It's a book that can turn dark very quickly if you're not reading it with the right mindset. And so I want you to understand something today that the wisdom I'm going to share with you today will radically change your thinking if you let it. Okay, so you can, you can stay stubborn, you can stay hard-headed, and you can walk out of here with the same mindset that you walked in, or you can allow the Holy Spirit to use the book of Ecclesiastes and the wisdom that's found in it to change the way you think. It'll transform your life. I'm going to take four verses. This is not my normal type of sermon or, or message on Sunday. I normally preach a whole lot more. This is more like my Bible study. This is how I study the Bible. So I'm going to give you Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 1 to 4. I'll read them all, and then we'll break each one down separately. And then at the end, I'll give you a few things I had on my heart. You ready? Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 1 to 4. A good reputation is more valuable than costly perfume, and the day you die is better than the day you are born. Better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. After all, everyone dies, so the living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for sadness has a refining influence on us. A wise person thinks a lot about death, while a fool thinks only about having a good time. One of my go-to funeral verses is verse 2, where it says, better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. And I love to use that verse at funerals because I like to see the reactions of people. So I usually give a salvation type of message at a funeral, and then I'll tell them, hey, I want to share one of the weirdest verses in the Bible, which grabs all their attention, and they all lift their heads, and they look at me, and I go, the Bible says... It's better to spend your time at funerals than at parties, and to which I always get this. I ain't never read that. All of a sudden, everybody's a Bible wizard, right? Like, I ain't never, that ain't in the Bible. I think it's hilarious. But it grabs their attention. So if you're paying attention, these verses should be causing you to rethink some things already. These verses should be challenging what is normal to you. Verse 1. You ready? You can say yes. Are you ready? Okay. Verse 1. A good reputation is more valuable than costly perfume. And the day you die is better than the day you were born. Wow. Does that not like just come against all of your natural thinking? Does it not like just, just kind of offend you a little bit? I mean, isn't it like that ain't right? It should be causing you to feel a certain way. So he's saying this. He's saying that good reputation is more valuable than costly perfume. So in the days that this was written, perfumes and ointments were some of the greatest income items that you could have. So if you were going to be a rich person, you had to get good product in order to get good money right? So to get good product, though, you had to take all your time, your effort, your energy, your resources. You had to sacrifice a lot of things to create good product to make good money. And most people at that time, and even today, would sacrifice their good reputation in order to make good product so that they can make good money. So much so that some people want to go to heaven with it. But the kinfolks write them a check. <laughs> Never trust your kinfolks. No, I'm joking. 
He's bringing a distinction between money and reputation. How many people do you know have forfeited their good reputation in order to gain riches? Most of you are probably, your mind's probably already going to somebody famous. But let's, let's pull it in a little bit closer. Let me show it to you this way. How many of you have a friend that used to be available all the time? They used to call you all the time. Y'all used to be your ride or die friend. Used to be the friend that you could spend all your time with. Call them any moment you needed them. And, and, and then all of a sudden they got a new job. And now they're unavailable. Now you can't find them. Now they're doing God knows what with who know what, right? And then and, and all of a sudden they forfeited their good reputation to gain some riches. Anybody know somebody like that? Maybe it's you. This, this statement may be worth writing down. It's too hard to build a good reputation to go and forfeit it on something as cheap as money. Some people say, I sell my soul to the devil. What it is. I sold my soul to riches. Forget the good reputation. I sold it to the devil. I gave it up for riches. How many of you remember Will Rogers? Come on, you're going to age yourself a little bit. Let me warn you. Will Rogers made a famous quote I think is worth sharing in this point, and it's this. He said, live in such a way that you would not be ashamed to sell your parrot to the town gossip. Live in such a, because some of you didn't catch that. Live in such a way that you would not be ashamed to sell your parrot to the town gossip. Isn't that good? A good reputation is more valuable than costly perfume. Then he says, the day you die is better than the day you're born. I mean, how weird is that? How many of you love to see newborn babies? I mean, I love babies. I was rubbing some, some John's little girl's foot this month. Fat foot. Just I love babies. They smell good most of the time. Right? I think, I think having grandbabies one day is going to be the greatest thing ever. Yeah. Send them home when you're done. Just time to go home. And then they're excited to see you the next time. How can he be saying that the day you die is better than the day you're born? We need to, we need to take some responsibility on that verse and we need to unpack it today. What does he mean? The day you die is the better than the day you're born. Could it be that the day you were born, you were actually born in flesh into a corrupt world? Though it was cute, though you took a lot of pictures, though you were the talk of the town, the reality is, is you were born into a corrupt world and you were born in flesh, right? So that means this, simply, that from the day you're born, everything is uphill, right? Everything is uphill from here. I have no reputation, but I got to build one. Doesn't it always seem like it's uphill to build a, a good reputation? Why? Because people would rather talk about your mistakes than your successes, wouldn't they? Because mistakes make for better gossip than your successes, right? And so if you're not careful, you will or other people will hold you back and hold your good reputation back because of your mistakes. It's always uphill, it seems like. So why is dying better than being born? Well, if you're a Christian, it's, it's especially better. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Like, like the way I literally see it is like you just got promoted. Like the rest of us suckers are stuck here, but you got a promotion. Look at what the Bible says. The Bible says when we die, it's like we go to sleep. How many of you could use a good nap today? I'm not saying you want to die today, but you could use a good, I'm talking, about a, I'm talking about a nap you never had before. I'm talking about one where the phone never rings. The air and the temperature's always right. I'm talking about no, no sunlight creeping in the blind, like you can just sleep. Isn't that good that God graces us with a big old nap before Jesus comes back? 
We all down here struggling, full of anxiety, trying not to cuss, and, and, and everybody else up there sleeping. Then the Bible says it's like we go to sleep, and it says when Jesus returns, the dead in Christ will rise first. So watch this. Put yourself there for a second. I get to get the perfect nap, and when I wake up, guess who I'm going to see? Not my bills, not my troubles, not my broke down house, not my rusty car. I get to see Jesus, right? It's like, Jesus, what? Y'all not nearly as excited as I am to take that nap. But the day we die, we escape the corruption of this world and we wait for eternal life. Wow. So far, so good. A little wisdom in verse one. There's more. Verse two. Better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. After all, everyone dies. So the living should watch this. Take this to heart. Here's the key to this verse. Taking some things to heart. I pray today that you take some things to heart. Now, I know none of us would sign up to go to a funeral today. None of us is looking forward to the next funeral. I'm praying and hoping I don't have to do any more funerals until the summer's over with. In fact, I'll go as far as the year's over with. But how can he say it's better to spend at funerals than at parties? Hmm. Which one would you prefer to go to? If I had a sign-up sheet, funeral or party, I could tell you I would have 99.9% .9 of you sign up for the party because there's always that 0.1% that just wants to do something crazy and go to a funeral. You know who you are. So let's unpack that for a minute. When you're at a party, you're having fun right here and right now, aren't you? It's a blast. We're looking for a good laugh. We're Christians now, so we don't drink and smoke anymore, right? We, we eat and tell lies. Come on, somebody. Mm -hmm. yeah, you didn't want to hear that, but you know it's true. We, we're, but we're here now. We're in this moment. This is the greatest thing to us right now. We're at a party, and we're having a good time. I'm looking for something meaty and salty, and then I'm looking for something big and sweet. That's a party to me. We can laugh, but I want, yeah, that's a party. So, so we're having fun right now. We're here in the moment. The thinking is about right now. The thinking is not about tomorrow, and it's definitely not about the end of your life because you're having too much fun to think about the end of your life. So that's where the thinking is. The talk at a party is usually based on your wealth, your status, your pleasures, your career. There's a lot of bragging that goes on at parties, exaggerating that goes on. Don't look at me like you all sanctified. Y'all all evangelistically speak. You get to a party and that fish was this big, but when you told your buddies he was that big. Come on, don't lie. You're in church. You know how you are. But that's what happens at parties, right? So we're having fun. It's here. It's now. It's in this moment. No thought about tomorrow. No thought about the end of my life. But when you're at a funeral, it's not much fun at all, isn't it? Because suddenly, somebody's life just came to an end. And all of us in this room have experienced that. Sometimes there's the tragic funerals, the all of a sudden's, and they hit you like a Mack truck. And then there's a, there are those deaths that come by a long-term illness or, or a short-term illness, but there's time to grieve. So there's almost time to prepare yourself for that day. Some professionals call it pre-grieving. I've experienced both. My mom died of a three-year battle with brain cancer. My grandmother died because she ran into a house they were moving on the road. All of a sudden, I was ready for my mom's, but I wasn't ready for my grandma's. When I heard about my grandma's, I couldn't even make the next decision of what to do next. I had to call Pastor Bubba and say, hey, I, I don't know what to do. That's how hard it hit me. 
But a funeral is a sudden end to someone's life. The thoughts tend to go towards our own end. I can tell you how many times I've sat in a funeral and I've gone, what's my last days going to look like? When will it happen? I don't expect to get that answer. When will it happen? I wonder who's going to be there. I wonder if they're going to have to make up good stuff about me. Are they going to have a lot of good stuff to say about me? I know my kids going to throw me smooth under the bus at the funeral. I'm telling you right now, Ethan will be the first in line and Anna will be the lead gangster in the whole event, throwing this brother under the bus. That They're not going to cry at my casket. They're going to laugh. If y'all had time, I'd tell you all they'd say already. I think about who will be there, what it will be like, what will people talk about. That's what happens at funerals. You don't think that way at parties, do you? You see, the talk goes to meaningful things, relationships, memories, life, right? It goes to, to health and character. I've been to some funerals where you could tell people were making stuff up. And it's sad. Just sad. I don't want to be that guy. So what is the writer saying? Party all you want to. Ain't nothing wrong with partying, as long as it's godly partying. Party all you want to, and it'll be fun, but it'll be mostly But know this much, when you go to a funeral, you're going to get more from that funeral than you got at that party. Okay. You'll believe it sooner or later. Verse three. Sorrow is better than laughter. (laughs) I disagree. (laughs) For sadness has has a refining influence on us. This one hits me really, really hard. I want you to think right now. I want you to just kind of go within yourself for a minute. and Think about a time that you were just full of sorrow. You were sad. Maybe it was a moment you just cried your eyes out. Something happened. Think about that time for a minute. And then think about what you felt like. Pay attention to what you weren't thinking about. Chances are you weren't thinking about what you were going to do tomorrow. You weren't thinking about everything else that needed to be done. You see, when you find yourself in sadness and sorrow, the world seems to stop. And all of a sudden, you find yourself in a moment where nothing else matters. Isn't that crazy? I've I've had a lot of those moments. And at first, I despised them. And I tried to run from them. (laughs) I learned you can't ever run from them. And you don't need to go looking for them because sadness and sorrow is just around the corner, right? And there's, there's a lot of things that make me sad. The, the sudden lot end of somebody's life, and, and then life ended too soon, I get sad. When dreams die, I get sad. When relationships are damaged, I get sad. When people suffer, I get sad. When real injustice happens, I get sad. Right? I'll never forget a couple years ago, I got really sad because they shut the bluebell down. God, I needed help, y'all. But have you ever noticed that when you're sad or full of sorrow, God seems to be the closest? Now, let me, let me explain something to you. God's always close. The difference between sadness and laughter is when you're laughing, you don't notice how close he is, but when you're sad and everything comes to a stop, you finally notice that God is with you. That's what makes sadness and sorrow so incredible. You see, I look back now at the sad times and the sorrowful times in my life, and I thank God for them because it was in those moments that I experienced God's presence like never before. And I came out of them better than I went into them. 
Now, that's not to say that laughter is not good. He's just saying that sorrow is better. Because the Bible also says that a cheerful heart is good medicine. I love a good laugh. I like those laughs where you can't breathe no more, right? Like, like you just, <laughs> you can't, oh, my stomach hurts. <laughs> Y'all don't laugh like that? Those are good ones. Maybe it's in sorrow and sadness that we're finally afforded enough to stop and notice that God is with us because he's always with us. Amen? Verse four. A wise person thinks a lot about death while a fool thinks only about having a good time. A wise person thinks a lot about death. Notice he didn't say fear. So I want you to be careful because some of you are scared to death in the future and you shouldn't be. He says a wise person thinks, not fears, death. Come on. Big difference. If you're fearing death, it's because something hasn't been secured in your heart and in your life. Right? So I don't fear death. I don't fear dying. I know it's a promotion for me. I get the ultimate nap until Jesus comes back and then my name's written in his book. So one day I'm gonna stand before him. He's gonna say, come on in, bro. I've been waiting on you. I got some bluebell in your fridge. <laughs> right? I'm looking forward to that day. I'm not afraid of that day. Why? Because my future is secure. There's no doubt in my mind that Jesus died on the cross for Jamie Tyler to be saved so that on the day of salvation, I will enter into heaven. I'm not fretting that at all. He said a wise person thinks a lot about death while a fool thinks only about having a good time. How many of you like pain? Raise your hands. I didn't think so. How many of you like to go through struggles? I didn't think so. How many of you like hard times? I didn't think so. We all like what? The good times. Come on, JJ. We like the good times, right? We like everything to go right. We love it when the mosquitoes take a day off. We love it when the humidity disappears for a moment. We love it when, when, when everything's going right and we love when things are good. And we get addicted to things being good. And we boo day when they get bad. Right? And while we're boudaying, we're missing out on the good things that come when you're going through a hard time. A wise person thinks a lot about death. What does that mean? What is he trying to tell us? You see, when you think a lot about death, you start to build a, an image of what the end looks like for you. Let me show it to you from this example. My wife and I did a marriage um, conference one time. We, we, we attended a marriage conference one time. And, and the guy who was leading the conference gave us this big old coloring sheet, this blank coloring sheet, a bunch of crayons. I thought it was really cool. I hadn't played with crayons in years. And he's, he started to talk, and he said, I want you to begin to draw, use different colors, draw whatever pops in your mind about what, the, what your life together as a couple looks like 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years from now. And he said, just draw it. And so what it did is it put me and Cheryl in this moment where we had to start thinking about the end of our life and what it would look like 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. And in that moment, kids are gone. Grandkids are injected, right? But we're not, as, we're not as tied up with the children like we were. We're not, as, we're not as bound by the kids like we were, right? Now we got some free time, so says. <laughs> And so we began to draw, and we, we drew a big old live oak tree. And I said, it's got to be a live oak, babe. She said, why? I said, because then water oaks blow over when the hurricane comes. And I like my tree. And then on the, under the tree was a, was a swing. 
And then the back was a pond. And I was like, wow, you see it? We wrote down some things that we would do. We would travel, party. <laughs> For us, that means good food, good laughs. Okay, we're not going to start drinking all of a sudden, I promise. Well, maybe, not until. But what we did is, is in that moment, we created an image of what the end would look like. So important. Because see, if you don't have a picture of what the end looks like, then what are you living for? What are you shooting for? Because when you start to think a lot about death, you start to think a lot about how your life is going to end, it starts to change the way you live right now. And instead of living for the moment and living for just me, I start to live for the end. And I start to live for others. And I start to think about what is my legacy going to be. And I can change that from here to there. Even though I don't know how long that distance is, I can change it from here to there. Right? I might have been a jerk up to this point, but I don't have to be a jerk tomorrow. I might have been stubborn and, and not forgiving people and not owning my own stuff to others around me, but that can change tomorrow. I can humble myself tomorrow. I can go to, to loved ones and friends and say, you know what, I've been a jerk. And I'm sorry. I just want to ask you to forgive me. And you know what happens? is what your future did look like starts to change. It starts to change, and what the enemy has been held bound for so long starts to get broken loose. And where the enemy was trying to divide your family, God is now putting it back together. Why? Because you started thinking about the end and not the here. Because when you're living in the here and now, you're still up in your fields. And you can't forgive nobody. But I'm going to tell you time and time again, when I go to funerals, you can feel it. You can feel it when unforgiveness is in the room. You can sense it. That can change today. It won't kill you to say I'm sorry. It won't kill you to be the first one to say it. Nothing changed in my, daddy and, my dad and I's life and he was the one that walked out on me. Nothing changed in our life till I came and said, I was sorry. God's people always go first. When you live with the end in mind, your thoughts, your decisions, and your actions change to get you there. But when you only live for the here and now, you cut yourself short for the here, for the there and then. So what am I saying? It doesn't matter what you've done up until this point. It can change today. You can change what the end looks like today. So let me give you six things that I've learned at funerals, from hanging out at funerals. And then I'll wrap it up with six things that I want to leave behind. These are incomplete lists. They're not exhaustive lists, but just some, some things I felt like the Lord wanted me to put on paper. What I've learned at funerals. <clears throat> Number one, life is too short to live unintentional. I can't tell you how much regret I felt attending other people's funerals. Regret, you can see it on people's faces. You can tell how many times I've looked at people and, they, and they've just said, I wish I would have went and made things right. Yeah, it's too late. The second thing I've learned that from funerals is that we need to stop and literally smell the roses. When's the last time you've stopped your busy life enough to hear the birds chirping in your backyard? Because they haven't left, they're still there. When's the last time you heard the crickets cricking? The last time I live in the country, when's the last time you heard the rain frogs at two in the morning drive you crazy? Or have you been so exhausted that you passed out and you don't even hear the frogs anymore? When's the last time you smelled the roses? I couldn't smell before I had COVID. I really can't smell now. But if I stop long enough, I can begin to sense and feel everything that's going on around me. Why is that important? Because we don't stop enough. We don't just stop and be enough. 
Number three, I've discovered that relationships are the real riches. Relationships are the real riches. They're so much more valuable than money. My God. That's the real riches. One of my best friends died a year, a year ago, and there was over 600 people at his funeral. He died a rich man. A rich man. One of the wealthiest men I know. Relationships are the real riches. Number four, outlive your mistakes and never give up on yourself and others. Because I can't tell you how many times I've heard stories of people who they made a great mistake and they never got back up. And that great mistake defined the end of their life and it was never intended to. We all make mistakes, but we can all get back up. And we got to also let others get back up. <clears throat> the fifth thing I've learned at funerals is that dying with Jesus makes for a better funeral than dying without Jesus. Lord, I love to do some saints' funerals, but man. Anyway, let me not get myself in trouble. The sixth thing I've learned at funerals is that you need to love your family and friends, that you need to leave your family and friends with an example to live up to and not something to look down on. You can change that today. So those are six things I've learned at funerals. There's plenty more, but I won't bore you with all of them. And then finally, I want to leave you with what I personally want to leave behind. It's really none of your business. <laughs> but the Lord's making me share it. <laughs> I didn't want you up in my Kool-Aid. But you're going to know now. Here's six things that I want to leave behind. There's many more, but these are the six I feel like you need to hear. Number one, I want to leave behind a passionate and growing relationship with Jesus. What does that mean? That means I want to leave behind my friends and family seeing, feeling, and knowing that I was in a passionate and growing relationship with Jesus, that I was once that way, but now I'm this way. I never stopped growing. I took some breaks along the way, but I, and I lost my passion a few times, but I got it back and I kept on growing. And the end of my life, I want my friends and my family to know that I was passionately in love with Jesus and I was still growing. The second thing I want to leave behind is the blessing of a great marriage. Why is that so important to me? Because on my mama's side and my daddy's side, all but two marriages out of 12, out of 13 marriages, only two marriages survived. The rest of them ended in divorce. You don't think me and Cheryl's not fighting through some generational curses? You don't think Cheryl and I have had to fight to stay in love with each other? You don't think the enemy's tried to throw that at us? I want to leave behind the blessing of marriage. My great grandkids, great grandkids to be well married and to be passionately in love with their spouse. And when they're 70, 80, 90, still chasing them around the house. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I'm going to keep it clean. I want to pass on the blessing of a great marriage. The third thing I want to leave behind is kids that have been loved, cared for, and called up. We didn't have kids to just let them grow up. We had kids to call them up. The Bible says they're like arrows in a quiver. They have intention and they have purpose. And my job is to pull them back and then to launch them. That's my job. So we don't have kids to just let them grow up and hope they make it. They'll never make it. You got you to learn how to pull them back and then release them. I want to leave kids behind like that. The fourth thing I want to leave behind is friends that have been cared for. If you've ever written a message, a lot of times you get convicted writing your own message. I, I got convicted on this one. As I'm writing it down, the Holy Spirit's giving it to me. I wrote down this one, friends that have been cared for. And in parentheses, I've, I've got, I was there. And instantly, the Holy Spirit dealt with me about my closest friend from childhood. 
we're still friends. I told my wife this on the way home last night. We're still friends today because of him, not because of me. He's pursued the relationship constantly, constantly pursued the relationship. We met in children's church at five years old during a fist fight. He put a marks a lot marker on my nose. I dared him to. I said, if you do it, I'm going to beat you up. This is my first day at church. <laughs> Welcome to children's church. He got up in front of everybody else and put a mark on my, on my nose. And afterwards, we met up behind the baptismal before church started, and we started duking it out. We've been best friends ever since. But he's been a better friend than I've been to him. And so I'm writing that message. I'm writing this message on Thursday and Friday, and I get convicted. So Saturday, I'm, I'm a pretty busy guy. Saturday, I was working in a house and uh, took a break, and I was wasting my time on Facebook, and I saw there was a fight last night, a UFC fight. My best friend loves UFC fights. I like them. I'm not, like, passionately in love with them. I don't worship them. But I like a good fight. I still got some fight left in me. I used to be a bouncer. It's still in there. And, and so instantly I said, hmm, grabbed my phone and I text him. I said, hey, bro, you didn't tell me there was fights tonight. I guess you don't want me to come over. And I sent him one of them emojis like that. <laughs> and he texts back, you want to come? I was like, are you? He's like, not really. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm coming anyway. What we eating? <laughs> That's always my follow-up question, right? What we eating? I did pick on him. Say, you want me to bring the beer? <laughs> I'll bring one for you, one for me. We'll both pass out. I was joking. I was joking. And so last night, yesterday at 5 o'clock, I did all my chores around the house. Got myself dressed, and I drove to Youngsville, Louisiana, to sit in my best friend's house with his family and watch the UFC fights until midnight. And I drove home and I got home at one o'clock this morning. <clears throat> I don't normally do that. Saturdays are normally sacred. We don't go too far because brother got to preach the next day. And my wife didn't understand why we were going. And when I was leaving, this is what he said to me. He said, thanks bro, that means a lot you came and I said wow I did need to work on that on God <laughs> he was like yeah you did said, can you bless me with good sleep tonight <laughs> I'll give you a great nap tomorrow I'm like okay in Jesus name <laughs> but I want to leave behind friends that have been killed I want them to miss me right I want them to miss me I want to leave behind, number five, I want to leave behind the blessings of finances. I'm not in love with being rich. I'm not rich in finances. I'm rich in relationships. But we do need money to live in this planet. And I want to leave behind financial blessings for my children and my children's children, just like the Bible says we should. In order to do that, I got to say no to some things that I want right now. I got to have a plan for my finances, right? And so that's what I want to leave behind. And then the thing I want to leave behind is generational blessings in every area across the board. I want to be the I want to be I want to be the old man they talk about 5 6 generations down from me. Your great-grandpa, your great-great-grandpa Jamie, that brother was big. <laughs> Boy, he could eat some meat and some bluebell. He loved them cows and them chickens. He sure loved his, his wife. But boy, he loved Jesus. Right? I'm not going to get there unintentionally. <laughs> you don't stumble into that, by the way. You have to intentionally live towards that. You got to pray that way. My prayers have changed. It's like, Lord, I want to end better than I started. 
Lord, I want to end. I want to end and I want to leave a legacy for generations on generations on generations. I want to bless the generations that come after me. I don't even need the recognition. I just want to know that it because of what I and Cheryl decided to do and not to do, that the generations after me were better off. Yeah. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Wisdom. It's not weird. It's wisdom. Right? Some of you are going to go home and read Ecclesiastes. And I'm excited about that because you'll read it with a new eye, with a new set of eyes and a new set of ears. It's the wisdom of God. And I hope you walk out of here today with your pockets full of wisdom. So, Lord, we come to you today and we thank you for the wisdom of Ecclesiastes. We thank you that the writer of Ecclesiastes just wrote it how he felt it. He just gave it to us real and raw. And God, you just, you just dosed it with wisdom. And you anointed that book so that for thousands of generations, thousands of years afterwards, we would read this book of Ecclesiastes and grow the more wiser. God, help us today to see life and to see this world around us differently than we've ever seen before. That God will see roadblocks, but we'll just see the end. We'll no longer see obstacles that make us quit or pause or stop. We'll just see the end and we'll just blow through the obstacles. That when offenses come and trials come and sorrows and sadness come, that they won't stop us. They'll just keep us focused on where we're going. I thank you that all of our days are numbered. I thank you that you have a plan for every day that we live. And I pray, Lord, we'll live that plan to the fullest. Remind us, God, that this place is but temporary. Like your word says, it's just a vapor. It's here one second and gone the next. Help us to live and truly live. Help us to enjoy the days. Enjoy the moments. Enjoy each other. Help us today. God, I thank you that it's not how we started, but it's how we finished that counts the most. And God, I thank you for everyone that's here today that hasn't done the best they could do up until now. But I ask you to anoint them and appoint them to do even greater from here on out. God, this would be a transforming time in our lives. Help us, Lord. With any relationship that's been damaged and has been held hostage by the enemy, use us to break it we break the stronghold of the enemy. We break the unforgiveness that the enemy's held over one another. And God, I thank you that what he meant to divide us and to kill us, God, you'll turn around and make it a beautiful story to share with others. You're the redeeming God. You're the restoring God who can do anything. Nothing is impossible for you, God. Help us to live in that. I pray today that the last day of our lives on the planet will bring you the most glory ever. That when others come to our funeral, it will be a moment to see all that God can do, to hear all that he has done, 
that everything starts with one step. And so before we get out of this moment of prayer this morning, with your head still bowed and your eyes closed, I want to give you an opportunity to take the very best and the most important step of your life. I want to introduce you to Jesus today. never given your life to Christ and you've never asked him to be the Lord of your life and receive the work that he did on the cross, the Bible says you can do that today. It says these words, today is the day of salvation. So nobody looking around. That's you. You just feel there's an emptiness in your soul that you could never fill up you want to meet Jesus today, I just want to simply help you with that. Would you just lift your hand real quick? Wherever you are, I see you. Anybody else? Let's pray this together, church. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I come to you today realizing I'm a sinner. I've fallen short. Up until today, I've been an enemy of God. I want that to change. So I admit that I'm a sinner full of failures. And God, today, I believe in my heart that you raised Christ from the dead and he's sitting at your right hand. I believe in my heart that what he did on the cross was more than enough to wash away my sin and bring me into a brand new relationship with you. And so today, I wanna make a confession. Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to fill me with your spirit I want you to write my name in your book. I give my life to you today. Have your way. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning? Thank you, Jesus.